get high and high, crazy blue, like St. Elmo's fire. Yeah, welcome back, stoners. We get high, we get high. This is another episode of I'm Too Effin' High with your high host, James Mastriani. Uh, that's me. I'm uh, feeling pretty good. Got a little, got a nice little Sunday morning bake going on, which is nice. Um, did a little wake and bake this morning, and went to my local uh, coffee donut shop. Got a uh, got a cruffin and a and a cinnamon twist. Some people call it a tiger's tail. I don't. Uh, I think both are totally fine. They were delicious, and um, super excited to uh, to do this episode. This, uh, if you're not familiar, this is the show where we get comedians high and have them do comedic challenges to try to prove that cannabis makes everything funnier. Um, and, you know, it's not just a podcast, right? It's, uh, it's also a live show that we do. We do um, a monthly live show at the Upright Citizens Brigade every first Saturday of the month, 10 p.m., We've got one coming up on March 7th. It's going to be a blast. We've got amazing comedians ready to get high. We've got Sean Diston. We've got Vic Michaelis. And we've also got Luke Knoll. They're going to come and get high and do some comedic challenges. We have amazing musical guests. We have a, a great Blaze Bit guest. Uh, it's, it's going to be a blast. So check out I'm2FNHigh.com or UCBTheater.com for, for tickets there. Um, and March 7th is going to be the, the next one. Um, and we'll have, um, listen, uh, we'll have a little announcement at the, uh, uh, at the break here. So listen, listen for that as well, uh, about something new and cool that's going to be coming up. Uh, but before we get to this episode today, we've got a very, very special episode. Let me just go ahead and check in with my right hand man here. DJ Blue Dream. There he is. What a good song. That's uh that, that, that that's better than the original. I think so too. Yeah. Um, better than both the originals. Better than the next episode and then um, All Star. Yep, I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, how you doing, DJ Blue Dream? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, pretty high. No, actually, I'm not high at all. Not high. No, I didn't smoke yet. Oh man, yeah. we got to get you high. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll smoke a. We'll smoke a J. We got a um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. special episode that we're doing today. Something a little bit different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't just, uh, from the very beginning, since we started doing this podcast slash live show, um, you know, our, our thesis has always been kind of like to try to help normalize cannabis through the language of comedy. Right. Um, and if you're in LA, like we are, you're in California, um, you know, it is legal here and, and you could argue in a lot of ways that, that there is a normalization feeling about cannabis in mm -hmm. this state. Um, but that's, that, that's not necessarily the case for the entire country. Um, and even in the state of California, there's, there's still a lot of, um, there's, there's, <coughs> there's still a lot of people that, um, are affected by, uh, the war on drugs, you know, cannabis being illegal for so long, there's still people behind bars for it. Um, and so, you know, later on we, we're, we're, 
in this episode, we're going to have uh, a special guest because not only do we like to have comedy on this show, but when we can, we like to educate our guests, educate ourselves, you know, kind of check check our privilege here of, of being able to be in a place where we can do this show. You know, I'm a white guy. And um, that means that, you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's safer and easier for me to do this show than it would be, you know, necessarily um, a, a person of color or, or uh, certain identities that are, are more marginalized, right? And, uh, you know, in a little later in this episode, we're going to be talking to Andrew from an organization called Cage Free Cannabis um, that deals with the uh, the ramifications of um, the war on drugs and, and um, trying to, to undo those. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, it's such a important kind of time in American history with regard to can- American cannabis history, let's say, at yeah. least right now. Because of this, like push for legalization around the country, which I think is a not crazy far away. Yeah. Um, and it is like, well, like the other day, I think we were talking about this yesterday, but I walked into um, a, a very posh cannabis boutique, let's call it, on on Melrose Avenue here in Los Angeles. Right. Uh, you know, and it was just like it looks like the Apple Store, it's like gleaming. It's all these like hipsters shopping, people of all ages. You know, it was kind of cool. It was beautiful to be like, oh, all people of all generations and and people coming in from work to go grab some weed you know before they go home so it was cool but it was also like man if if your weed store looks like uh you know an apple store or a a designer boutique in a mall it's almost outlandish that someone else is locked up for far less of a crime a few years ago you know what i mean and there's still people who are locked up for carrying less than an ounce on them or something like that uh while sort of rich hipsters can shop for weed at a beautiful place so it's it's an important thing it's something we've talked about since the show started you know just is the comedy is also a gateway to hopefully raise some awareness of that so so that, that stuff can change yeah yeah and and you know there's uh again like being here in los angeles is um you know, it's it's if you smoke weed, it's great. So you know, it's it's uh, we don't have to worry about certain certain things. You know, doing this show or or even just smoking weed on a daily basis. But meanwhile, there are people that are locked up for the rest of their lives in other parts of the country. For example, there's there's a there's a gentleman in in um, Detroit uh, or maybe Flint, Michigan, I think, named Michael Thompson, who is locked up for 60 years 60 years for having three pounds of wheat um and that's crazy i mean that's draconian yeah yeah it's it it makes no sense and um you know there there is there is at times um you know there's i think for me at least there's times have little tinges of of feelings of guilt or or uh you know maybe uh maybe guilt's the wrong words um but you know definitely empathy and thoughts for for people that are experiencing that you know which is why it's great to you know get involved with uh andrew and his organization cage free cannabis hopefully the listeners can learn a little something more about how to do that from this episode yeah um because you know if there's if there's a pat if there's people working on actually actually freeing some of the incarcerated people yes. or, or you know, yeah. pushing for legislation. I think that's that's great. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily endorsing uh 
anybody or, or saying anybody should vote for, for a specific person, you know, I can say who I'm voting for. Specifically for this reason, I'm, I'm voting for Bernie Sanders in the primary because, um, you know, not only on, you know, day one does he claim that he's going to be, be legalizing cannabis, but he also claims that um, he's going to release anybody with any cannabis records, expunging the records, releasing them from jail federally, right? Um, I think that's a good start. I think that's a good thing. So, um, you know, maybe do a little bit of research into if cannabis is really important to you. Um, do a little research into the candidates and what they want to do with it um, because, you know, that's that's coming up. That's coming up pretty soon. You could also add, like, it's in this whole thing isn't just a like, weed issue, but it's like a justice issue. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's important too to for for people to remember that like you know this isn't just about smoking weed right. Of course, I love to smoke weed, and I think if people want to smoke weed, they should smoke weed. But um, more than that, it's it's about not allowing law enforcement, not allowing the justice system to have this tool, uh, not allowing private prisons to have this ability to be able to put human beings in cages for for you know for profit and and for control and for power and um and as long as cannabis is illegal they will be able to continue to use that tool and 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 now you know ice can come in and kind of also use that tool um as a way of deporting people you know uh as a way of catching people as well i've there's been a lot of articles uh that i've read about that uh, which is fucking dark and mm-hmm. and um, shitty, and um, so I, I I think it's it's more than I think sometimes when people think about cannabis and and politically cannabis and cannabis advocacy, you know, there's this stereotype of like you know the stoner eating a bag of Doritos and and watching cartoons and just wanting to be able to smoke smoke weed, man, and like peace on earth and that sort of stuff. Which exists, fine, you know, that's that's fine too, that's cool, but um, I think that there's also elements of it that, um, you know, really affect a lot of people, a lot of communities, um, and, and, you know, especially as a white guy, uh, black communities, impoverished communities, communities that, that don't necessarily, of people that don't look like me, um, you know, and I try, I try to do my best to check myself on that, especially being lucky enough to have created and hosted this show. And for four years now, we've been able to do a live show every month and get our audience high and get our guests high. And, um, uh, sometimes it's good to just take a step back and be like, you know, uh, there's a reason why I've been able to do this mm-hmm. and, um, to kind of remember that. And that, that's a little bit of what, what today's episode is about. And uh, yeah, you know, as we as we continue to grow as a show and a podcast, and occasionally we will do these sort of educational or informational, informative uh, types of podcasts, we'll be uh, highlighting, uh, there's a little wordplay for you from, from one of our producers, uh, <laughs> we'll be highlighting some of these different organizations. Mm-hmm. Um so that our listeners can, um, you know, can can educate themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can weed up on some of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. I like that. Weed up. We'll provide you with the spark notes on what organizations are good. I like that. You can grow your perspective mm-hmm. as a person mm-hmm. and 
plant your feet permanently in the ground of informed. (laughs) (laughs) Which will cultivate a new understanding of what you can and cannabis not do (laughs) with regard to supporting this cause. Yeah. Don't let your brain be hard as a stone. Okay, we're going to cut to commercial break here. (laughs) I think we're making a good cause for (laughs) not legalizing weed. Yeah, I think, honestly, everything we just said before, I'm now realizing what what we've done to our brains is is, uh, uh, wrong. Um, Yeah, we should both be locked up for this. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, you guys. Take a, take a little puff. <laughs> and we'll be back with Andrew from Cage Free Cannabis. Welcome back, stoners. Uh, so our guest today on the episode, um, as DJ Blue Dream and I had said earlier, we're going to be talking to somebody from Cage Free Cannabis, a little bit about uh, the legalization of cannabis and, and, and the fight and the war on drugs. Um, we've got Andrew Epstein is the guest today. He's been an activist and artist in drug reform since serving on the board of Students for a Sensible Drug Policy while at Amherst College. And um, he's done a bunch of marketing content for uh, support of marijuana legalization. And um, yeah, we're really excited to have him. And he's, he's got a lot to share with us. So please welcome Andrew Epstein. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how are you? One of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because, you know, we do like to... Um, uh, not only do we like to have comedians come on and, and do comedic challenges and, and that sort of thing, we try to normalize cannabis through comedy, uh, but we, we also like to educate yeah. and inform uh, our listeners as well. And we really like your organization and, and, and what it's about. And we wanted to have you on to, to talk a little bit about it, to educate our listeners um, a little bit about, uh, about you know, what that is. Well, I think that's, yeah, that's very awesome of you guys because, uh, yeah, it's something, you know, the awareness of kind of the issues surrounding um, cannabis is, is pretty important. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, part of our job is to sort of, we want to make people, make consumers aware of like who they're buying from, where that money's going, you know, in the same way that people are aware of organic food or fair trade coffee or right. something like that. Um, and it's, you know, it's just our firm belief, like you can't, you can't ignore the last 60 years of a drug war. Um, the second something becomes legal and sort of start moving on and having, you know, the same people as have always profited, profit from this. I love that you say that, man. And, um, you know, I think that we've run in the past of like this idea, especially like in, in personal conversation and stuff of, you know, well, why do you need to normalize it if seems pretty normal to me um you know especially people that live in los angeles or or in california um that don't have that you know um uh, bird's eye view of of what's actually going on right yeah yeah well i think there's there's you know i listened to some of your show and i you know i mean i think there are a bunch of kind of issues when you talk about like the normalization um and i love 
what you do because you know the thing that um that always jumps out to me so you know i use cannabis and have since i was in high school um i i drink as well but i don't really drink that often um i don't i don't like come home and have a beer or you know a cocktail or whatever um but the amount that drinking and the cocktail and the beer is part of our everyday culture and daily routine. Um, I think I was telling your producer yesterday, you know, you could walk into any airport in the U S at 10 AM and there will be people drinking at a bar and no one thinks that's weird at all (laughs) that people are just, you know, people get on a plane at 10 AM and they get shot and everything. (laughs) But, you know, but, but as opposed to if I was about to get on a plane and said, oh, you know, I'm going to take a couple hits off a joint. People would think that's strange. That's yeah. You know, um, or people will look at you differently if you come home from a day of work and you're with your kids or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, half a joint or something like it's not yet fully accepted as much as alcohol. This is, is. This is so true. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I, I feel like you know, most parents, even if you're talking about parenthood, it's, you know, they would feel completely comfortable cracking open a beer in front of their, in, in front of their kids. Uh, but they, they hide the joint yeah. in the bedroom and they wait till they go to sleep at night. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Before, uh, before we get too deep into the conversation, um, would love to just hear a little bit about, uh, about you, your background, how you got into, Cannabis activism about the organization, um, Cage Free Cannabis. Mm-hmm. So I am originally from New York. Uh, I'm from Scarsdale, New York, which, if you're familiar with it, is a pretty affluent white Jewish um, city outside of uh, New York City, near the Bronx and White Plains. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up. Um, you know, started smoking weed in high school and, you know, never faced any repercussions, never had any friends get busted or go to jail or anything like that. Um, And when I went to college, um, I started hanging out with kids from across the country, San Diego, Hialeah in Miami, wherever. And really kind of right away when I got to college, started getting educated on what happens in other communities, communities of color, and the history of the drug war. Um, and I got very active uh, quickly. Uh, so I was part, there's an organization called Students for a Sensible Drug Policy, um, which is all over yeah. the world at this point, but on a lot of campuses. And so I started a chapter at my college, and then I served on the board. Um, and then you know, uh, basically for the next like four or five years, I participated in uh, different forms of what we'd call the drug reform movement, um, which includes, um, you know, decriminalization or legalization of cannabis, but also extends to uh, needle exchange programs, um, you know, uh, inter- international stuff, HIV, um, just basically, you know, trying to treat uh, drug users and people who are participating uh, in the in the world of, of drugs as as people right. and not just criminals and you know there's there's a reason behind people's actions. Um, so 
yeah, I worked, um, I worked at a needle exchange program, um, out of Northampton, Massachusetts and Springfield, Massachusetts. Springfield has a, at that time had a very high intravenous drug use yeah. population and they had no, they had no needle exchange program. Um, so I worked on a mobile unit, uh, going around and exchanging needles and, um, and sorry, and sometime real, real, uh, just for just just yeah. for our, our listeners here, and I know this is a a, a cannabis podcast, yeah. but I think it, this is really informative. Do you mind just explaining to our listeners what a needle exchange program is? Yeah, I mean it's basically a place where someone you know who uses a needle to to shoot up to use whatever can go and get a free right. clean needle. You know, get get healthcare advice. Um, you know, this all falls under um, the umbrella of harm reduction, um, which is basically the theory that we do not live in a utopia. There are bad things that are going to happen and people are going to participate in risky right. behaviors. And, you know, as, as being a part of a community, a society, uh, it's our responsibility to make those behaviors as safe as possible. So that they are doing as little harm to themselves and other people as possible, and that's really the idea behind needle exchange. You know, we w- you want to get someone help, you want to get someone off whatever that drug is, but in the meantime, let's make sure that they're not transmitting anything to someone else, or they're not getting anything transmitted to them from another right. person. Um, so that's the yeah, that's kind of the idea behind um, behind needle exchange. Um, so, so yeah. And then, uh, actually when I was in college, my senior year, I was an art major. Um, and I did like a conceptual art piece, which is I banned, uh, coffee for a day on our college campus. Um, and we kind of did this whole thing. We put up official signs on the campus. Um, so it all felt very real. Um, I got like the school government to approve it. So like there literally was not coffee on campus that day. Um, and that, you know, is part of my commentary. Yeah, at that that's point. brilliant. I, you know, commentary. As on, a coffee drinker, that's infuriating. And, uh, <laughs> well, it was, it was in May. So it was leading up to finals and, uh, people, but specifically professors fucking freaked <laughs> out. Bet. It like it was, it was it was kind of crazy. Like we actually used the school seal and made all these signs that said, you know, if you have an issue, call this number, and you can, you know, talk to the caffeine the caffeine control coordinator <laughs> or something. Um, we we got cute with it, and we had uh, we had people selling like black market coffee, you know, outside of the student union and stuff like that. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, and people. I, Professors absolutely freaked out about it. Um, it got it got a little coverage because uh, at the time there was a, a custodial strike at Harvard, and there was a New York Times reporter sort of out there waiting to do a story on it. And she decided to come to our school for the day and kind of follow this. And it ended up like on the New York Times. Um, so it became, nice. it became sort of like a, like That's a bigger great. thing. Yeah. And it was, it was great. So it was like a great conversation starter. Um, and even to this day, you know, people who I know from back then will always remember, Oh, the coffee thing. Um, 
so you know i was always i, I did that and as an art major i did a another piece of revolving around needle exchange um after i went to school i actually uh traveled a bit and i ended up working in columbia um and i was i did a delegation a group called witness for peace um where you know people go and they take a delegation and we were uh, and then you come back and talk to your congressman and basically we went there to observe at that time the plan columbia which was like the spring of all the mm. coca fields in Colombia, um, which was supposed to, you know, get rid of cocaine <laughs> for some fucking reason. Um, but had the, you know, what it really did was like kill people's right. crops all over Colombia and basically force them more and more into producing coca. Um, so I sort of had my foot in every kind of part uh, of right. drug reform uh yeah and then at, at some point i uh i decided to to take a break and uh move to la to serve the masters of hollywood <laughs> yeah you did your you did your time you served your masters well i'm, I'm still in the midst of serving yeah, so, my masters in hollywood <laughs> um so yeah so I, I i did that but all the while you know i kept in touch with all the people who were working in the movement and stuff and um and uh i've always been pretty politically active so yeah. for a while for a while we I started a like a kind of a political group to make like issue videos um and then when uh when it looked like this legalization was coming about myself and uh, my partner co-founder adam vine uh started cage free cannabis because we knew you know, we wanted to be part of something that uh, that made this an issue. We we realized what was going to happen. Legalization was going to come, and the only people positioned to profit from it were, you know, going to be well-off right. uh, white people who ha have have the money to start a dispensary or to start a business. And you know, it's pretty much preceded as kind of we thought. You know, venture capital is involved, and there's big money and John Boehner, you know, gets rich off of weed, even though he voted for, you know, every piece of legislation yeah. to put black and brown people in jail. Um, and yeah, so we started Cage Free Cannabis and um, we work with a lot of local organizations across the country. Um, big thing that we do every year is called National Expungement Week, um, which uh, next year, 2020, will be the third year where we run a uh, clinics uh last year i think it was in 40 states um for people to either expunge vacate or seal their records the laws are different in every sure. state so it kind of depends uh where you are um yeah and we you know try to raise awareness consult with uh, other cannabis companies we have had like a pretty good response i think from cannabis companies um that want to participate um, that want to be seen uh, as being on the right, right side of this issue, and I, I and I think that's that's kind of the, the the two parts of this is we want companies um, to feel the responsibility to make this happen, to include formerly incarcerated people in their business plans, um, to include social equity, to give chance to other people, and then we also want consumers 
to understand where they're buying um, their cannabis from, you know, and to buy it from uh, from different companies and not just, you know, MedMen. You know, one thing that struck me just just about your own personal journey, if I could just um, uh, relate to it in terms of uh, of normalization and, and sort of the whole thesis of what, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, I feel like this this is something that feels personal for you and, and, and the exposure to it early on helped to, it seems like, humanize people that, that use drugs um, and see them not as the boogeyman, not as, you know, people that are, are, are necessarily here to um, fuck everything up for the rest of us, but, you know, just somebody that... Um, I mean, with cannabis, it's it's so many different things. It's medicine for some people. It's, you know, um, it could also be recreational uh, party like as well. But um, I think the exposure is is such a huge part of it. Um, and I don't know if that's if, if that's your experience as well is, is it like the more people are able to be exposed to cannabis or exposed to people that use cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's for, you know, I, 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 I will try not to get away from cannabis uh, too much, but going back to like needle exchange, you know, it's uh, even if someone doesn't necessarily accept people using cannabis, you know, enough people use it now that it's, you know, they're aware of someone. Um, but if, you know, you're talking to someone who uses a harder substance and uses a needle um, that, you know, they're still a person and we don't want to alienate them. And that's a lot of what I did at the needle exchange. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm talking to people who inject heroin and I've never used heroin. So it's very hard for me to obviously relate. Um, But it's very humanizing to sit down with them and talk with them and hear their problems, you know, and in the, in the course of a, a time when you're sitting with someone and, you know, going over their medical history and giving them needles or something, you learn uh, about them. You learn what their struggle is, you know? Um, and I think, I think that's, you know, very important to, to keep in mind. Like just once someone picks up a needle or does something that starts doing real damage to themselves, like we yeah. don't write them off. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big, yeah, part of that's, it. that's a great point. Nobody, you know, it's, we wouldn't write off somebody that, you know, has, uh, a heart condition or cancer or, you know, some, some other illness, I think with, with drug use, especially it's just assumed that it's their fault, their responsibility, you know, um, wh- why should I have to deal right. with, with their choices sort of thing? Right, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. Cage Free Cannabis is uh, is an organization, and and um, I love uh, I love the website. I I love like uh, everything that you guys are doing. Some of the way things that you guys have categorized, I I, I think it's just so smart, um, and and you know really helpful um, for for the listeners. You can check it out cagefreecannabis.com. Um, and um, I, I was just uh, hoping you could tell us a little bit about the organization as well. Yeah. So the organization is, um, you know, kind of, we work with a lot of people around the country, around the country in LA and DC who have been directly impacted. Um, 
uh, who work with us. So Adam and I co-founded the group. Um, but, you know, there are a bunch of people all over who kind of do the work. We, we try to work with directly impacted people, which, you know, means uh, people who have, you know, been arrested, been incarcerated, or whose family have been impacted by it. You know, I think it's very hard for people to understand that, you know, if your family member was busted for a small amount of possession in 2002 or something like that, or 1998, there's a domino effect that happens to your family after that. Um, maybe you don't have housing, you lose someone in your family who can um, contribute income to the family and you lose educational yeah. opportunities. And, and that's, that's sort of like the domino effect of the drug war. Um, and so there are a lot of people who have been directly impacted um, by this, you know, and we kind of try to work with those people and have those people um, uh, be the main people at, at Cage Free who, who are working on expungement week, who are working with uh, consulting with cannabis companies. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't want those people to be like the other that are just right. like recipients. You know, we, we want, we want them to be part of it. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, there's plenty of people that are, that not only, like you said, are not only still locked up, um, but, um, you know, have some sort of a, um, a, a record, a felony, something keeping them from getting a job. You know, one, one st statistic here that I read from your website that, that I really learned something about that I didn't realize um, is how many people, you know, of course we, we realize people, you know, go to jail. We realize people have you know, um, uh, their records uh, uh, has implications and such. One thing I thought was really interesting is that over 200,000 people have lost financial aid eligibility for uh, uh, higher education, which which was something that I, I, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very first things, actually, I was involved with when I was at... Um, was I was at school or SSTP was um, I'm not going to be able to think of it right now, but basically at that time you could not, if you had uh, anything on your record, you couldn't access, I think a federal Pell grant for university. Mm. Um, so, so that was like a huge, that was our first big thing. I think at SSDP was right. attacking that. Um, and taking so that you know that wouldn't prevent someone from uh, getting getting scholarship or getting money to go to university because yeah exactly what you're saying I mean right there like you're 16 or 17 and you know you get uh, busted for minor possession or something like that and all of a sudden like your your opportunities have now narrowed just from that like one you know quote right. unquote mistake basically um, and that. That's that starts it. Um, so yeah, that that was a yeah. that was a big yeah. Deal. That that kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, yeah, th that's it's a it's a big thing that affects a lot of people. You know, going to college is is for for a lot of people a, a major goal in their life or something that you know that it's going to take them into their adult career and and you know to lose that financial aid is is could be devastating. All, all for smoking weed, yeah. you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And oh, and I, I should point out, so we have, if you go to our website, you'll see, we have basically two different sides. We have a, 
an organization or company called Cage Free Cannabis, which is basically like a consulting company. Um, and then we have a nonprofit side called Cage Free Repair um, that focused on reparative work. Um, and, you know, through Cage Free Repair is where we do National Expungement Week and, and That's some great. of that work. One, one question that I have, and, and it kind of speaks a little bit to what um, you were talking about before about, you know, corporations and businesses kind of being held accountable. Um, you know, I, I, I think especially out here in California, and I think also as nationwide, it starts to become more and more legalized. One thing I hear from from cannabis users quite a bit is is kind of a frustration of, um, you know, everything kind of being corporatized, right? And, and uh, everything's going to be, you know, the Budweiser of cannabis, and it's all going to be big, you know, big cannabis and that sort of thing. But, but my one question is, 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 and your thoughts on the idea of like, it, how do you balance out? Obviously, that is not, you know, the most ideal situation is to have everything become this big corporate thing. But on the other side, you know, it, it seems like a good thing to not have black people, people of color, people in very uh, impoverished areas being being arrested and and thrown into for-profit prisons and and all that sort of stuff um how how do you how do you find that balance or 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 maybe you don't maybe um it's it's you know uh a more hard line than that um yeah that's an interesting it's an interesting question because i think more and more you know my my views have evolved personally so you know, obviously, since I was 18, I've been for legalization. Um, I, I personally am not speaking for, you know, cage-free cannabis. I'm personally for the legalization of all substances, because um, I think that's how you regulate right. and control and provide, you know, a safe place yeah. for people. Um, and more and more now, it's, you know, I am more for decriminalization first then legalization once you once we have um kind of a structure in place that gives uh preference to people who have been impacted once there is you know a good uh social equity component into a state um, or a county's law around legalization um I, I think all of that stuff like really needs to be kind of in place before you mm. hit legalization, interesting. You know, so I, I mean, it's great that they that they already legalized, but I think anyone in Colorado or California or wherever can tell you it's it's been kind of like the right. fucking wild west. You know, I'm like, okay, it's legalization. Now what happens? Well, there's no banking, so okay, we got to hire security companies, and now we just have tons of cash, and um, it, it, people have been sort of figuring it out. Mm. I think that, you know, I think originally Oakland um, had a very, like, good, well-intentioned uh, social equity um, program going, but there were a lot of complaints um, by the small businesses or people of color, you know, who are sort of being incubated by uh, bigger companies, uh, where these companies, like, weren't necessary we're kind of helping them but we're more eventually just cannibalizing like their customer base and taking mm. them for themselves um so 
I think it's getting better. I, I believe that what they just passed, I can't give you the details on off the top of my head, but, but what they just passed in Illinois is kind of the strongest um, legislation, um, which kind of sets out these benchmarkers and is, is giving uh, people of color and people who have been impacted right. a chance. Um, so, yeah, I think we have to go, you know, step by step. Uh, and make sure everything is in place because I mean we're already down the road. You know we all n- know this. It's it's happened, and the, the the you know people who have had money or are gonna have money, you know, are making right. money off of this, and it, it's hard to you know pull the brake on the on the capitalist train. But that's kind of what we want to do is slow it up a little and make sure other people. Um, have opportunities. But again, going back to what I originally said, that's also going to depend on the consumer. It's going to depend on the consumer making the choice and saying, I'm only going to buy my flour, my shatter, my vape or whatever from this company because I know where they grow it. I know that they're giving money. You know, um, I know that they employ people of color. um, And I think um, the more consumers are aware of that and it kind of is is part of the dna of their choices um the better off we'll be again just sort of like you know organic food and and uh, fair trade coffee and and is there is there a resource of any sort or anything any, any a way that you could recommend to listeners to be able to find those companies the companies that do um, work with organizations such as Cage Free Cannabis, or, or you know, do hire um, ex-convicts or, or people that have um, you know been disenfranchised by it. That is a good question. I do not. That is something that we are working on and would like to work on to have sort of a reference for people because I do get that yeah. question a lot, um, and there there is no you know, immediate kind of go-to for that. I think it will become more apparent over the next year or two. Um, but that that's certainly something that's been on our list um, to kind of uh, uh, write up and have as a, as a, as a resource yeah. for people. Because, you know, even, even myself, like uh, having this conversation with you is, you know, kind of, kind of making me check myself a little bit because I, I, I certainly am not one that's going to pass up a, a good deal on, on some good, uh, some good cannabis or some good, you know, and, and right. I don't necessarily, I see a good deal. I, I, I go, Oh wow. Okay. Uh, $50 for a quarter. I'll do $50 for a quarter, but I don't know where it came from. I don't know, uh, what kind of a human being runs this company. And, and that's a really good point. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our listeners as well are, are not just, um, necessarily cannabis users but they're comedy fans as well um is, is there anything for the like casual you know like like a, a regular comedy fan who might not know a whole bunch about cannabis is there anything that you know uh, as a layman they should they should know about um maybe what it is they're taking for granted or or something uh something major like that i i think i think there are a lot of i think there are a lot of people out there in the in the comedy world um, who are like aware yeah. of these issues, you know, and, and especially a lot of the people who have been in the forefront of, of cannabis culture, um, you know, like Willie Nelson, like Snoop Dogg, like Seth Rogen, 
I mean, you know, all all three of those guys are kind of active in this yeah. and are aware of this. And, you know, if you follow them on social media or anything, you'll see them commenting on this because because they're they're conscious of this as well. Um, and I think that's that's kind of growing, you know, um, and those, you know, those are also people who at the same time are part of the normalization of cannabis yeah. in our culture. You know, I mean, I mean, no one's really bigger at that than Willie Nelson. Been doing it a long time, too. <laughs> yeah, he's been. Yeah, he's been doing it a long time. And he bridges, you know, he, he bridges over different people. I mean, yeah, you know, I live in, in Austin and in Texas. I mean, yeah. everyone loves Willie. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, like, who you are. Um, but I think sort of the appeal of those types of, uh, of people and how they can kind of uh, reach out to people, you know, is very effective in, in normalizing it. You know, I think uh, I've worked on in the entertainment side with Seth for a long time, and he's just like such a great advocate for, right. um, for all of this. But he's also kind of like a very interesting, you know, example of someone who is tremendously prolific. Um, yeah. And smokes a lot of weed and doesn't, you know, and isn't shy about it. Um, but is also the first to say, Hey, this isn't, you know, for everyone. Um, the Seth's big thing, which I always, I find is very responsible is, you know, he always, you know, when people hang out with Seth, they want to, you know, or you hang out with Snoop Dogg, you hang out with Willie Nelson, you want to smoke right. pot with them, you know? And, and Seth, Seth is, you know, to someone who might smoke pot with him for the first time, his advice is always, you know, take a hit and wait five minutes and see how you feel. See if you yeah. want to take another hit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, cause he recognizes not everyone yeah. is, is like him and has that tolerance and, level. Uh, um, I, yeah, exactly. And I, I've always thought that was a very, yeah, very good that's advice. Great advice. Yeah, Seth is uh, uh, somebody that that is would be is a perfect example of what we try to do on this show, which is like, you know, show that a comedian who's smart, who's funny, can smoke weed and still be smart and funny and still be, um, you know, uh, have their have their wits about them. Maybe it's a little bit skewed. Maybe it's a little bit, you know, influenced. But it's um, it's certainly not, um, you know. Uh, so, so, some, something insane, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's been going on, you know, for the last 20 years is this kind of movement of, you know, I smoke weed too, you know, and I'm yeah. not shy about it. Just to tell you a, just to tell you a little quick story. And when I was in school, we brought um, this professor from Harvard, uh, Lester Grinspoon, um, who you'll see has written a lot about marijuana and was one of the first researchers. Um, he was the head of the Harvard Medical Journal, and he didn't even actually smoke weed himself for, a, I think, a long time when he started mm. to do his research. Um, and I brought him to speak at our college, and I remember we all went out to dinner with him. just so happens that he was best friends with Carl Sagan. Huge star. Um, Right. Exactly. And over the course of our dinner, you know, yeah, he made it clear, you know, Carl Sagan smoked weed every single day, pretty much. <laughs> and, but it wasn't something that he, you know, talked about openly or, 
you know, probably for fear that people would kind of, you know, look at him differently or, or take, you know, take his information in, in with a grain right. of salt or whatever. Um, and I think hopefully, you know, that has changed so that, you know, um, uh, smoking weed, just like drinking alcohol is not a disqualifier for whatever profession you're in. You know, you can be uh, the best at what you're, you want to do uh, and also, you know, consume cannabis. Uh, I mean, just look at the yeah. NBA. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, um, if you can be high and jump as high as they can in the NBA and, and still have those athletic feats. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> You know, is is there something that the average person can do, uh, you know, and, and, and certainly um, while it's hard because while some of us are, are lucky enough to be able to smoke weed freely in certain states, there's other people getting locked up in other states. And, you know, that that can make people feel guilty or or, or bad or um, and, you know, you mentioned buying from companies that are good. Is, is, is there anything else that you would recommend? I mean, I think people should just kind of uh, be aware of what's happening. You know, one thing that I don't think people realize is that um, there is still drug enforcement going on in this country. People are still being locked up for weed. Um, it, it's, you know, the police are still getting money. I mean, even, you know, in L.A., you know, the part of the money goes to the police force, you know, for training right. and 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 stuff like that i think probably you know in la or california probably more money goes to police than goes to impacted communities still you know so we still have this tipped balance towards like law enforcement um and uh you know and 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 the work that that people need to do is to be aware of what's happening and showing up at city council meetings, participating in local government and kind of making their voices heard. Um, Cause you know, the, the escalation of the drug war kind of, you know, as many of your listeners, you know, probably know at this point, it was just an extension of, you know, the original right. Jim Crow laws, you know, and, and, and drugs are used as an, an excuse, you know, to lock up black and brown people. Um, and that's that's still happening um and our police state i mean our police state is is a result of all of this and our police state is absolutely crazy i mean you walk around and you see cops with you know full like the semi-automatic weapons and body armor and fucking tanks in the street um and you're just like yeah where are we what are we doing you know when's the last time you had an interaction with a you know, peacekeeping officer where you didn't feel, you know, somewhat paranoid yeah. yourself about, you know, um, and, and that's not really the dynamic it should be. Like if we're going to have police, a police force that's protecting us, we should feel mm-hmm. safe around them, you know, um, and, and shouldn't feel like, like using cannabis or anything is, uh, um, you know, is, is a bad thing, you know, that yeah. makes you a target. Um, which I think it, I think it's still it's still it makes dark. me think of that that joke that is very unfortunate that that it exists right now. But that that idea of like, if you have a problem, don't call the police because then you'll have two problems. 
And that, that right. to me perfectly yeah. sums up like um, kind of where we find ourselves. And, and, and you're, I, I think you're right. Um, not, I think you're right. I know you're right. I, I, the, the history backs it up that, that this all comes and stems from, you know, control and systemic racism. And, and, um, uh, it, it's just, it's escalated out of control. Um, and I think there are, you know, but the, hopefully there's progress being made there. I know there are a lot of, there are a lot of programs, especially in Seattle, um, with, with alternative right. to incarceration, you know? Um, because, uh, uh, one issue that we're doing, you know, Austin is very progressive. Um, and we actually, the city council just voted to kind of completely like deprioritize yeah. marijuana arrest in Austin. Great. Um, you know, and that's, yeah, and that's, that's a, that's a big start, but kind of reconceptualizing our dynamic with, with what the police are and what they're there for. Um, one thing that I was just recently made aware of is, I think five, 10% maybe, I'm not exactly sure of like 911 calls um, have to do with like a mental health issue. And it, in those cases, you know, it, it just, it ends up escalating. If, if the first responder to something like that is, you know, should be some, you know, an EMS person or a, right. you know, a therapist, not necessarily a police officer, because immediately you know, there's a mental health situation and there's a police officer and, you know, the, the result is who's yeah. getting arrested here, you know, who's in, who's in trouble, not necessarily like, how can we defuse the situation? How can we help? Are there this? any, are there any candidates currently that, that, uh, you know, do you guys have a voting guide for, for the website or the organization or are there any, I mean, it seems right now that, you know, um, on the democratic side, Bernie Sanders seems to be the most, you know, uh, pro-cannabis candidates so far yeah and i and it's it's interesting how that's progressed over the last 10 years because i think the pro-legalization ballot initiatives and referendums and candidates have gotten more people out to vote you know they get that gets people out to vote who didn't vote before um and you know as we can see with Bernie, with legalization and with Medicare and everything else, he's kind of pushed everyone in that direction so that, you know, <clears throat> I don't know how many of those candidates out there, but I would assume at least three or four of them are for, are for uh, full yeah. legalization. But yeah, no, creating a, that's actually a very good idea. Creating a, a voter guide is something that probably our cage free repair uh, could do and, and, uh, kind of would be a great benefit to people. Um, but, you know, even, even with Bernie, um, you know, I support Bernie. I was actually went down to his rally earlier today in Austin. Oh, nice. Um, and he gave, yeah. And he gave his, you know, his same speech, um, which personally I love and kind of, I use as an example. I'm like, this is why I'm supporting this guy because it is the same speech. It's been the same speech yeah. for 30 years. That's, that's the point of Same. supporting him is, um, but you know, he was like, oh, I legalize marijuana. And, you know, it was one of the first times that I heard it in my head. I was like, okay, Bernie, that sounds good. But like, yeah. but how, <laughs> you know, like what, what are, what are the protections that are going to, yeah. And it, it speaks to maybe like when, when that happens, hopefully, um, that, you know, similar to the States, like 
you were saying before, California, Colorado, hopefully the foundation or the, the infrastructure can be there, even though it hasn't been decriminalized yet. This is uh, this has been really great. Has has this turned has this turned into your most sober? Honestly, this is yet? this is great. I've uh, it's it's been perfect. You know, everything can't uh, and our listeners hopefully understand everything can't be a party. You know, everything. Um, but just just because we like to smoke weed doesn't mean that uh, everybody can do that. And I think it's it's good to to be educated about it. I, I was prepare I was preparing myself to have to do some some like improv with you over the phone as I, said, <laughs> as I listened to your other shows i was like oh it's like i wonder what scenario no not at all we wanted we wanted this to be to be <laughs> informative and, and and earnest uh you were you were exactly what we were hoping for which is great um is, is there anywhere that um you want people to find you online like any social media stuff websites anything like that i think you know our website at, at cagefreecannabis.com has a lot of information, um, on, you know, the drug war in general, um, and, you know, harm reduction, uh, a good resource is the drug policy Alliance, um, which is drugpolicy.org, Um, and, uh, yeah. And they can kind of, uh, look up national expungement week. We're going to national expungement week is going to be in September. I believe the week of September 19th, which is National Voter Registration okay. Week. Um, so we're kind of doing it in concert with that. Um, yeah, because part of, you know, another part of the idea is that, you know, would, these people should be able to vote. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, to be honest, prisoners yeah, should be able to vote um, as well. So this is a this is a, a, a kind of a, a huge a huge effort that's getting bigger uh, every year, basically. Right. Uh, thank you again, Andrew, for your time. I really appreciate it, man. This has been uh, this has been a really great conversation, and uh, again, uh, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me on and um, that, and giving us this platform. It's really great of you guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode, Stoners. Uh, you know, I know this kind of veered a little bit off of our normal uh, template that we do for this show and. Normally, this is a comedy show, but, uh, you know, the yin and yang of the universe tells us when we uh, uh, when we feel joy, we we also have to uh, suffer as well. And I I think it's it's one thing to be able to get high. Um, But, you know, it's 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 good to be educated and and understand that um, it's not so easy for everybody to just uh, pull out a joint and and smoke um and and not have harsh consequences so we we'd like to continue to do this from time to time so that we can you know um not only you know normalize through the language of comedy but we also want to continue to advocate for uh for cannabis and and so um if there's anybody that you want to hear uh come on the show if there's anybody you'd like us to talk to or or companies or uh, anything like that, please email us at uh, I'm too effing high at gmail.com. And, um, you know, we hopefully will be able to get around to doing this again soon. Otherwise, uh, next week we'll be right back with our regular scheduled comedic challenges with a bunch of stoned, funny comedians. And we look forward to having you back uh, listening then. Stay too effing high, you guys. Thanks a lot.
Hey, stoners. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. We're excited to let you know about a show we're putting on at the Original Cannabis Cafe on March 19th, Thursday night at 930. The show is called The Variety Show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have an amazing lineup of performers. Joel Kim Booster, Zach Reno and Jessica McKenna, Luke Knoll, Ever Maynard, Ian Abramson, The Quickness. We're going to have comedians coming and doing comedic challenges, and it's going to be a blast. Tickets are really affordable, 10 bucks. And you can check out I'm2FingHigh.com to see the Eventbrite where you can get those tickets. And again, that's at the Original Cannabis Cafe in West Hollywood on March 19th. See you there. Welcome back, stoners. Uh, so our guest today on the episode, um, as DJ Blue Dream and I had said earlier, we're going to be talking to somebody from Cage Free Cannabis a little bit about uh, the legalization of cannabis and, and, and the fight and the war on drugs. Um, we've got Andrew Epstein is the guest today. He's been an activist and artist in drug reform since serving on the board of Students for a Sensible Drug Policy while at Amherst College. And um, he's done a bunch of marketing content for uh, support of marijuana legalization. And, um, yeah, we're really excited to have him, and he's he's got a lot to share with us. So please welcome Andrew Epstein. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how are you? One of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because, you know, we do like to um, – uh, not only do we like to have comedians come on and, and do comedic challenges and, and that sort of thing, we try to normalize cannabis through comedy – uh, but we, we also like to educate yeah. and inform uh, our listeners as well. And we really like your organization and, and, and what it's about. And we wanted to have you on to, to talk a little bit about it, to educate our listeners um, a little bit about, uh, about, you know, what that is. Well, I think that's, yeah, that's very awesome of you guys. Because, uh, yeah, it's something, you know, the awareness of kind of the issues surrounding um, cannabis is is pretty important um and uh and you know part of our job is to sort of we want to make people make consumers aware of like who they're buying from where that money's going you know in the same way that people are aware of organic food or fair trade coffee or something like that um and it's you know it's just our firm belief like you can't you can't ignore the last 60 years of a drug war um, the second something becomes legal and sort of start moving on and having, you know, the same people as have always profited, profit from this. I love that you say that, man. And, um, you know, I think that we've run in the past of like this idea, especially like in, in personal conversation and stuff of, you know, well, why do you need to normalize it? If it seems pretty normal to me, um, you know, especially people that live in Los Angeles or, or in California, um, that don't have that, you know, um, uh, bird's eye view of, of what's actually going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's, you know, I listened to some of your show and I, you know, I mean, I think there are a bunch of kind of issues when you talk about like the normalization. Um, and I love what you do because, you know, the thing that, um, that always jumps out to me. So, you know, I use cannabis and have since I was in high school. Um, I I drink as well, but I don't really yeah. drink that often. Um, I don't I don't like come home and have a beer or you know a cocktail or whatever. Um, 
But the amount that drinking and the cocktail and the beer is part of our everyday culture and daily routine. Um, I think I was telling your producer yesterday, you know, you could walk into any airport in the U.S. at 10 a.m. and there will be people drinking at a bar. True. And no one thinks that's weird yeah. at all. <laughs> that people are just, you know, people get on a plane at 10 a.m. and they get shot and everything. <laughs> but, you know, but but as opposed to if I was about to get on a plane and said, oh, you know, I'm going to take a couple hits off a joint. People would think that's strange. That's Yeah. You know, um, or people will look at you differently if you come home from a day of work and you're with your kids or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, half a joint or something like it's not yet fully accepted as much as alcohol this is, is this is so true um yeah i completely agree i i feel like you know most parents even if you're talking about parenthood it's you know they would feel completely comfortable cracking open a beer in front of their in, in front of their kids uh but they they hide the joint in yeah. the bedroom and they wait till they go to sleep at night right exactly exactly yeah, before uh, before we get too deep into the conversation, um, would love to just hear a little bit about uh, about you, your background, how you got into cannabis activism, about the organization um, Cage Free Cannabis. Mm -hmm. So I am originally from New York. Uh, I'm from Scarsdale, New York, which, if you're familiar with it, is a pretty affluent white Jewish. Um, city outside of uh, New York City, near the Bronx and White Plains. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up, um, you know, started smoking weed in high school and, you know, never faced any repercussions, never had any friends get busted or go to jail or anything right. like that. Um, and when I went to college, um, I started hanging out with kids from across the country San Diego, Hialeah in Miami, wherever, and really kind of right away when I got to college, started getting educated on what happens in other communities, communities of color, and the history of the drug war. Um, and I got very active uh, quickly. Uh, so I was part, there's an organization called Students for a Sensible Drug Policy, um, which is all over yeah. the world at this point, but on a lot of campuses. And so I started a chapter at my college and then I served on the board. Um, and then, you know, uh, basically for the next like four or five years, I participated in uh, different forms of what we'd call the drug reform movement, um, which includes, um, you know, decriminalization, legalization of cannabis, but also extends to, uh, needle exchange programs, um, you know, uh, inter international stuff, HIV, um, just basically, you know, trying to treat uh, drug users and people who are participating uh, in the in the world of, of drugs as as people right. and not just criminals. And, you know, there's there's a reason behind people's actions. Um, so. Yeah, I worked. Um, I worked at a needle exchange program um, out of Northampton, Massachusetts, in Springfield, Massachusetts. Springfield has a, at that time had a very high intravenous drug use yeah. population, and they had no they had no needle exchange program. Um, so I worked on a mobile unit 
uh, going around and exchanging needles. And, um, and sorry, and sometime real, real, uh, just for just just yeah. for our, our listeners here, and I know this is a, a, a cannabis podcast, yeah. but I think it, this is really informative. Do you mind just explaining to our listeners what a needle exchange program is? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a place where someone, you know, who uses a needle to, to shoot up, to use whatever, can go and get a free, right. clean needle, you know, get get healthcare advice. Um, you know, this all falls under um, the umbrella of harm reduction, um, which is basically the theory that we do not live in a utopia. There are bad things that are going to happen. And people are going to participate in risky right. behaviors. And, you know, as, as being a part of a community, a society, uh, it's our responsibility to make those behaviors as safe as possible so that they are doing as little harm to themselves and other people as possible. And that's really the idea behind needle exchange. You know, we w- you want to get someone help. You want to get someone off whatever that drug is. But in the meantime, let's make sure that they're not transmitting anything to someone else or they're not getting anything transmitted to them from another right. person. Um, so that's the, yeah, that's kind of the idea behind, um, behind needle exchange. Um, so, so yeah. And then uh, actually when I was in college, my senior year, I was an art major um, and I did like a conceptual art piece, which is I banned uh, coffee for a day on our college campus um, and we kind of did this whole thing we put up official signs on the campus um, so it all felt very real um, I got like the school government to approve it so like there literally was not coffee on campus that day um, and that you know is part of my commentary yeah at that's that point, brilliant you know commentary on, as a coffee drinker that's infuriating and uh <laughs> well it was it was in may so it was leading up to finals and uh people but specifically professors fucking freaked (laughs) out it like it was it was it was kind of crazy like we actually used the school seal and made all these signs that said, you know, if you have an issue, call this number and you can, you know, talk to the caffeine, caffeine control coordinator <laughs> or something. Um, we, we got cute with it and we had, uh, we had people selling like black market coffee, you know, outside of the student union and stuff like that. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. And people, and professors absolutely freaked out about it. Um, it got, it got a little coverage cause, uh, at the time there was a, a custodial strike at harvard and there was a new york times reporter sort of out there waiting to do a story on it and she decided to come to our school for the day and kind of follow this and it ended up like on the new york times um so it became it became sort of like a like a bigger thing yeah and it was it was great so it was like a great conversation starter um and even to this day you know People who I know from back then will always remember, oh, the coffee thing. Um, so, you know, I was always, uh, I did that. And as an art major, I did a, another piece of revolving around needle exchange. Um, after I went to school, I actually uh, traveled a bit and I ended up working in Colombia. Um, and I was, I did a delegation a group called Witness for Peace. 
um, where, you know, people go and they take a delegation and we were, uh, and then you come back and talk to your congressman. And basically we went there to observe at that time, the plan Columbia, which was like the spring of all the mm. coca fields in Columbia, um, which was supposed to, you know, get rid of cocaine <laughs> for some fucking reason. Um, but had the, you know, what it really did was like kill people's right. crops all over Colombia and basically force them more and more into producing coca. Um, so I've sort of had my foot in every kind of part uh, of right. drug reform. Uh, yeah, and then at, at some point I, uh, I decided to, to take a break and uh, move to L.A. to serve the masters of hollywood <laughs> yeah you did your you did your time you served your masters well i'm, I'm still in the midst of serving yeah, so, my masters in hollywood <laughs> um so yeah so I, I i did that but all the while you know i kept in touch with all the people who were working in the movement and stuff and um and uh i've always been pretty politically active so yeah. for a while for a while, we started a, like a kind of a political group to make like issue videos. Um, and then when uh, when it looked like this legalization was coming about, myself and uh, my partner, co-founder Adam Vine, uh, started Cage Free Cannabis because we knew, you know, we wanted to be part of something that uh, that made this an issue. We, we, we realized what was going to happen. Legalization was going to come. And the only people positioned to profit from it were, you know, going to be well-off right. uh, white people who ha have have the money to start a dispensary or to start a business. And, you know, it's pretty much proceeded as kind of we thought, you know, venture capital is involved and there's big money and John Boehner, you know, gets rich <laughs> off of weed, even though he voted for, you know, every piece of legislation yeah. to put black and brown people in jail um, and yeah, so we started cage free cannabis and, um, we work with a lot of local organizations across the country. Um, big thing that we do every year is called national expungement week, um, which, uh, next year, 2020 will be the third year where we run, uh, clinics, uh, last year, I think it was in 40 States. Um, for people to either expunge, vacate, or seal their records, the laws are different in every sure. state, so it kind of depends uh, where you are. Um, yeah, and we, you know, try to raise awareness, consult with uh, other cannabis companies. We have had like a pretty good response, I think, from cannabis companies um, that want to participate, um, that want to be seen uh, as being on the right, right. side of this issue. And I, I and I think that's that's kind of the, the the two parts of this is we want companies um, to feel the responsibility to make this happen to include formerly incarcerated people in their business plans um, to include social equity to give chance to other people and then we also want consumers to understand where they're buying um, their cannabis from you know, and to buy it from, uh, from different companies and not just, you know, med men. You know, one thing that struck me just, just about your own personal journey, if I could just, um, uh, relate to it in terms of, uh, of normalization and, and sort of 
the whole thesis of what what we're trying to do is, um, you know, I feel like this this is something that feels personal for you, and 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 the exposure to it early on helped to it seems like humanize people that that use drugs um, and see them not as the boogeyman, not as you know people that are are, are necessarily here to. Um, fuck everything up for the rest of us but you know just somebody that um i mean with cannabis it's it's so many different things it's medicine for some people it's you know um it could also be recreational uh party like as well but um i think the exposure is is such a huge part of it um and i don't know if that's if, if that's your experience as well is is it like the more people are able to be exposed to cannabis or exposed to people that use cannabis yeah yeah and i think that's for you know i i, I, I will try not to get away from cannabis uh, too much but going back to like needle exchange you know it's uh, even if someone doesn't necessarily accept people using cannabis you know enough people use it now that it's you know they're aware of someone um but if you know, you're talking to someone who uses uh, a harder substance and uses a needle um, that, you know, they're still a person and we don't yeah. want to alienate them. And that's a lot of what I did at the needle exchange. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm talking to people who inject heroin and I've never used heroin. So it's very hard for me to obviously right. relate. Um, but it's very humanizing to sit down with them and talk with them and hear their problems, you know, and in the, in the course of a, a time when you're sitting with someone and, you know, going over their medical history and giving them needles or something, you learn uh, about them, you learn what their struggle is, you know? Um, and I think, I think that's, you know, very important to, to keep in mind, like just once someone picks up a needle or does something that starts doing real damage to themselves, like we yeah. don't write them off. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big, yeah, part of it. that's, that's a great point. Nobody, you know, it's, we wouldn't write off somebody that, you know, has, uh, a heart condition or cancer or, you know, some, some other illness. I think with, with drug use, especially, it's just assumed that it's their fault, their responsibility, you know, um, wh why should I have to deal right. with, with their choices sort of thing? Right, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. Cage Free Cannabis is uh, is an organization, and and um, I love uh, I love the website. I I love like uh, everything that you guys are doing. Some of the way things that you guys have categorized, I I, I think it's just so smart, um, and and you know really helpful um, for for the listeners. You can check it out cagefreecannabis.com. dot com, um, and um, I, I was just uh, hoping you could tell us a little bit about the organization as well yeah so the organization is um you know kind of we work with a lot of people around the country around the country in la and dc who have been directly impacted um uh who work with us so adam and i co-founded the group um but you know there are a bunch of people all over who kind of do the work we try to work with directly impacted people, which, you know, means uh, people who have 
you know, been arrested, been incarcerated, or whose family have been impacted by it. You know, I think it's very hard for people to understand that, you know, if your family member was busted for a small amount of possession in 2002 or something like that, or 1998, there's a domino effect that happens to your family after that. Um, maybe you don't have housing, you lose someone in your family who can um, contribute income to the family and you lose educational yeah. opportunities. And, and that's, that's sort of like the domino effect of the drug war. Um, and so there are a lot of people who have been directly impacted um, by this, you know, and we kind of try to work with those people and have those people um, uh, be the main people at, at Cage Free who, who are working on expungement week, who are working with uh, consulting with cannabis companies. Um, yeah, we don't we don't want those people to be like the other that are just right. like recipients. You know, we, we want we want them to be part of. Yeah. This. And uh, there's, you know, there's plenty of people that are that not only, like you said, are not only still locked up, um, but, um, you know, have some sort of a, um, a a record, a felony, something keeping them from getting a job. You know, one one st statistic here that I read from your website that that I really learned something about that I didn't realize um, is how many people, you know, of course, we we realize people, you know, go to jail. We realize people have you know, um, uh, their records, uh, uh, has implications and such. One thing I thought was really interesting is that over 200,000 people have lost financial aid eligibility for, uh, uh, higher education, which, which was something that I, I, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very first things actually I was involved with when I was at, um, as I was at school or SSDP was um, I'm not going to be able to think of it right now, but basically at that time you could not, if you had uh, anything on your record, you couldn't access, I think a federal Pell grant for mm. university. Um, so, so that was like a huge, that was our first big thing. I think at SSDP was right. attacking that. Um, and taking so that you know that wouldn't prevent someone from uh, getting getting scholarship or getting money to go to university because yeah exactly what you're saying I mean right there like you're 16 or 17 and you know you get uh, busted for minor possession or something like that and all of a sudden like your your opportunities have now narrowed just from that like one you know quote right. unquote mistake basically um, and that that's that starts it um so yeah that that was a yeah that, was a big yeah, deal. that, that kind of blew my mind a little bit i was like yeah, th that's it's a it's a big thing that affects a lot of people you know going to college is is for for a lot of people a, a major goal in their life or something that you know that it's going to take them into their adult career and and you know to lose that financial aid is is could be devastating all, all for smoking weed yeah. you know yeah exactly yeah. And oh, and I, I should point out, so we have, if you go to our website, you'll see, we have basically two different sides. We have a, uh, an organization or a company called Cage Free Cannabis, which is basically like a consulting company. Um, and then we have a nonprofit side called Cage Free Repair um, that focus on reparative work. 
um, and you know through cage free repairs where we do National Expungement Week and, and that's some great. Of that work. One one question that I have, and, and it kind of speaks a little bit to what um, you were talking about before about you know corporations and businesses kind of being held accountable. Um, you know, I, I, I think especially out here in California, and I think also as nationwide, it starts to become more and more legalized. One thing I hear from from cannabis users quite a bit is is kind of a frustration of, um, you know, everything kind of being corporatized, right? And, and uh, everything's going to be, you know, the Budweiser of cannabis, and it's all going to be big, you know, big cannabis and that sort of thing. But, but my one question is, 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 and your thoughts on the idea of like, it, how do you balance out? Obviously, that is not, you know, the most ideal situation is to have everything become this big corporate thing. But on the other side, you know, it, it seems like a good thing to not have black people, people of color, people in very uh, impoverished areas being being arrested and, and thrown into for-profit prisons and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, how, how do you how do you find that balance or 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 maybe you don't maybe um, it's it's, you know, uh, uh, more hard line than that. Um, yeah, that's an interesting it's an interesting question because I think more and more, you know, my my views have evolved personally. So you know, obviously, since I was 18, I've been for legalization. Um, I, I personally am not speaking for, you know, cage-free cannabis. I'm personally for the legalization of all substances, because um, I think that's how you regulate right. and control and provide, you know, a safe place yeah. for people. Um, and more and more now, it's, you know, I am more for decriminalization first, then legalization. Once you, once we have um, kind of a structure in place that gives uh, preference to people who have been impacted, once there is, you know, a good uh, social equity component into a state um, or a county's law around legalization, um, I, I think all of that stuff like really needs to be kind of in place before you mm. hit legalization, interesting. You know, so I, I mean, it's great that they that they already legalized, but I think anyone in Colorado or California or wherever can tell you it's it's been kind of like the right. fucking wild west. You know, I'm like, okay, it's legalization. Now what happens? Well, there's no banking, so okay, we got to hire security companies, and now we just have tons of cash, and um, it, it, people have been sort of figuring it out. Mm. I think, uh, you know, I think originally Oakland um, had a very, like, good, well-intentioned uh, social equity um, program going, but there were a lot of complaints um, by the small businesses or people of color, you know, who are sort of being incubated by uh, bigger companies, uh, where these companies, like, weren't necessary. We're kind of helping them, but we're more eventually just cannibalizing like their customer base and taking mm. them for themselves. Um, so I think it's getting better. I, I believe that what they just passed, I can't give you the details on off the top of my head, but, but what they just passed in Illinois is kind of the strongest um, legislation 
um, which kind of sets out these benchmarkers and is, is giving that people of color and people have been impacted right. a chance. Um, so, yeah, I think we have to go, you know, step by step uh, and make sure everything is in place. Because, I mean, we're already down the road. You know, we all n- know this. It's it's happened and the, the, the you know, people who have had money or are going to have money, you know, are making right. money off of this. And it, it's hard to, you know, pull the brake on the on the capitalist train. But that's kind of what we want to do is slow it up a little and make sure other people um, have opportunities. But again, going back to what I originally said, that's also going to depend right. on the consumer. It's going to depend on the consumer making the choice and saying, I'm only going to buy my flower, my shatter, or my vape or whatever from yeah. this company because I know where they grow it. I know that they're giving money. You know, um, I know that they employ people of color. Um, and I think um, the more consumers are aware of that and it kind of is, is part of the DNA of their choices, um, the better off we'll be. Again, just sort of like, you know, organic food and and uh, right. fair trade coffee. And and is there is there a resource of any sort or anything any, any a way that you could recommend to listeners to be able to find those companies, the companies that do um, work with organizations such as Cage Free Cannabis or or you know do hire um, ex convicts or or people that have um, you know been disenfranchised by it. That is a good question. I do not, that is something that we are working on and would like to work on to have sort of a reference for people because I do get that yeah. question a lot. Um, and there, there is no, you know, immediate kind of go to for that. I think it will become mm-hmm. more apparent over the next year or two. Um, but that, that's certainly something that's been on our list um, to kind of, uh, uh, write up and have as a as a, as a resource yeah. for people because you know even even myself like uh having this conversation with you is you know kind of kind of making me check myself a little bit because I, I i certainly am not one that's gonna pass up a, a good deal on on some good uh some good cannabis or some good you know and and right. i don't necessarily i see a good deal i i, I go oh wow okay uh fifty dollars for a quarter i'll do fifty dollars for a quarter but I don't know where it came from. I don't know uh, what kind of a human being runs this company, and and that's a really good point. You know, a lot of our a lot of our listeners as well are are not just um, necessarily cannabis users, but they're comedy fans as well. Um, is, is there anything for the like casual, you know, like like a, a regular comedy fan who might not know a whole bunch about cannabis? Is there anything that you know, uh, as a layman, they should they should know about? Um, maybe what it is they're taking for granted, or or something, uh, something major like that. I, I think I think there are a lot of I think there are a lot of people out there in the in the comedy world um, who are like aware yeah. of these issues, you know, and and especially a lot of the people who have been in the forefront of of cannabis culture, um, you know, like Willie Nelson, like Snoop Dogg, like Seth Rogen. I mean, you know, all all three of those guys are kind of active in this yeah. and are aware of this. And, you know, if you follow them on social media or anything, you'll see them commenting on this because because they're they're conscious of this as well. 
Um, and I think that's, that's kind of growing, you know, um, and those, you know, those are also people who at the same time are part of the normalization of cannabis yeah. in our culture. You know, I mean, I mean, no one's really bigger at that than Willie Nelson. Been doing it a long time too. <laughs> yeah. He's been, yeah, he's been doing it a long time and he bridges, you know, he, he bridges over different people. I mean, yeah, you know, I live in, in Austin and in Texas, I mean, yeah. everyone loves Willie. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter like who you are. Um, but I think sort of the appeal of those types of, uh, of people and how they can kind of, uh, reach out to people, you know, is very effective in, in normalizing it. You know, I think, uh, I've worked on in the entertainment side with Seth for a long time and he's just like such a great advocate for, right. um, for all of this, but he's also kind of like a very interesting, you know, example of someone who is tremendously prolific, um, yeah. and smokes a lot of weed and doesn't, you know, and isn't shy about it. Um, but is also the first to say, Hey, this isn't, you know, for everyone. Um, the Seth's big thing, which I always, I find is very responsible is, you know, he always, you know, when people hang out with Seth, they want to, you know, or you hang out with Snoop Dogg, you hang out with Willie Nelson, you want to smoke right. pot with them, you know? And, and Seth, Seth is, you know, to someone who might smoke pot with him for the first time, his advice is always, you know, take a hit and wait five minutes and see how you feel. See if you yeah. want to take another hit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, cause he recognizes not everyone yeah. is like him and has that tolerance and, level. Uh, um, I, yeah, exactly. And I, I've always thought that was a very, yeah, very good that's advice. Great advice. Yeah, Seth is uh, uh, somebody that that is would be is a perfect example of what we try to do on this show, which is like, you know, show that a comedian who's smart, who's funny, can smoke weed and still be smart and funny and still be, um, you know, uh, have their have their wits about them. Maybe it's a little bit skewed. Maybe it's a little bit you know influenced, but it's um, it's certainly not um, you know. Uh, something insane you know yeah yeah and i think that that's been going on you know for the last 20 years is this kind of movement of you know i smoke weed too you know and i'm not shy about it just to tell you a just to tell you a little quick story and when i was in school we brought um this professor from harvard uh lester grinspoon um who you'll see his written a lot about marijuana and was one of the first researchers. Um, he was the head of the Harvard Medical Journal. And he didn't even actually smoke weed himself for, a, I think, a long time when he started mm. to do his research. Um, and I brought him to speak at our college. And I remember we all went out to dinner with him. Just so happens that he was best friends with Carl Sagan. Huge star. Um, right. Exactly. And over the course of our dinner, you know, yeah, he made it clear, you know, Carl Sagan smoked weed every single day, pretty much. (laughs) But it wasn't something that he, you know, talked about openly or, you know, probably for fear that people would kind of, you know, look at him differently or or take, you know, take his information in in, with a grain of salt or whatever. Um, And I think hopefully you know, that has changed so that 
you know, um, uh, smoking weed, just like drinking alcohol is not a disqualifier for whatever profession you're in. You know, you can be uh, the best at what you're, you want to do uh, and also, you know, consume cannabis. Uh, I mean, just look at the yeah. NBA. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, um, if you can be high and jump as high as they can in the NBA and, and still have those athletic feats. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> You know, is, is there something that the average person can do, uh, you know, and, and, and certainly um, while it's hard because while some of us are, are lucky enough to be able to smoke weed freely in certain states, there's other people getting locked up in other states. And, you know, that that can make people feel guilty or or, or bad or um, and, you know, you mentioned buying from companies that are good. Is, is, is there anything else that you would recommend? I mean, I think people should just kind of uh, be aware of what's happening. You know, one thing that I don't think people realize is that um, there is still drug enforcement going on in this country. People are still being locked up for weed. Um, It's, you know, the police are still getting money. I mean, even, you know, in L.A., you know, the part of the money goes to the police force, you know, for training and 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 stuff like that i think probably you know in la or california probably more money goes to police than goes to impacted communities still you know so we still have this tipped balance towards like law enforcement um and uh you know and 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 the work that that people need to do is to be aware of what's happening and showing up at city council meetings, participating in local government and kind of making their voices heard. Um, Cause you know, the, the escalation of the drug war kind of, you know, as many of your listeners, you know, probably know at this point, it was just an extension of, you know, the original right. Jim Crow laws, you know, and, and, and drugs are used as an, an excuse, you know, to lock up black and brown people. Um, and that's that's still happening. Um, and our police state, I mean, our police state is is a result of all of this. And our police state is absolutely crazy. I mean, you walk around and you see cops with, you know, full like uh, semi-automatic yeah. weapons and body armor and fucking tanks in the street. Um, and you're just like, yeah, where are we? What are we doing? You know, when's the last time you had in, an interaction with a you know, peacekeeping officer where you didn't feel, you know, somewhat paranoid yeah. yourself about, you know, um, and, and that's not really the dynamic it should be. Like if we're going to have police, a police force that's protecting us, we should feel mm-hmm. safe around them, you know, um, and, and shouldn't feel like, like using cannabis or anything is, uh, um, you know, is, is a bad thing, you know, that yeah. makes you a target. Um, which I think it, I think it's still it's still it makes dark. me think of that that joke that is very unfortunate that that it exists right now. But that that idea of like, if you have a problem, don't call the police because then you'll have two problems. And that, that right. to me perfectly yeah. sums up like um, kind of where we find ourselves. And, and, and you're I, I think you're right. Um, not, I think you're right. I know you're right. I, I, the, the history backs it up that, that this all comes and stems from, you know, control and systemic racism and, and, um, 
uh, it's just it's escalated out of control. Um, and I think there are, you know, but the, hopefully there's progress being made there. I know there are a lot of there are a lot of programs, especially in Seattle, um, with which alternative right. to incarceration, you know, um, because uh, uh, one issue that we're doing, you know, Austin is very progressive. Um, and we actually, the city council just voted to kind of completely like deprioritize yeah. marijuana arrest in Austin. Great. Um, you know, and that's, yeah, and that's, that's a, that's a big start, but kind of reconceptualizing our dynamic with, with what the police are and what they're there for. Um, one thing that I was just recently made aware of is I think five, 10% maybe, I'm not exactly sure of like 911 calls um, have to do with like a mental health issue. And it, in those cases, you know, it, it just, it ends up escalating. If, if the first responder to something like that is, you know, should be some, you know, an EMS person or right. a, you know, a therapist, not necessarily a police officer, because immediately you know, there's a mental health situation and there's a police officer and, you know, the, the result is who's yeah. getting arrested here. You know, who's in, who's in trouble, not necessarily like, how can we defuse the situation? How can we help? Are there this? any, are there any candidates currently that, that, uh, you know, do you guys have a voting guide for, for the website or the organization or are there any, I mean, it seems right now that, you know, um, on the democratic side, Bernie Sanders seems to be the most, you know, uh, pro cannabis candidate so far. Yeah, and I, and it's it's interesting how that's progressed over the last 10 years because I think the pro legalization ballot initiatives and referendums and candidates have gotten more people out to vote. You know, they get it, that gets pe- people out to vote who didn't vote yeah. bef- before. Um and you know as we can see with bernie with legalization and with medicare and everything else he's kind of pushed everyone in that direction so that you know i don't know how many of those candidates out there but i would assume at least three or four of them are for are for uh, full legalization but yeah no creating a that's actually a very good idea creating a a voter guide is something that probably our cage-free repair uh could do and and uh kind of would be a great benefit to people. Um, but, you know, even even with Bernie, um, you know, I support Bernie. I was actually went down to his rally earlier today in Austin. Oh, nice. Um, and he gave, yeah, and he gave his, you know, his same speech, um, which personally I love and kind of I use as an example. I'm like, this is why I'm supporting this guy because it is the same speech. It's been the same speech yeah. for 30 years. That's that's the point of Same. supporting him is um but you know he was like oh, i legalize marijuana and you know it was one of the first times that i heard it and in my head i was like okay bernie that sounds good but like yeah. but how <laughs> you know like what what are what are the protections that are going to yeah be and it, it speaks to maybe like when when that happens hopefully um that you know similar to the states like you were saying before California, Colorado, hopefully the foundation or the, the infrastructure can be there, even though it hasn't been decriminalized yet. This is, uh, this has been really great. Has, has this, 
has this turned into your most sobering? Honestly, episode? this is yeah. this is great. I've uh, it's it's been perfect. You know, everything can't uh, and our listeners hopefully understand everything can't be a party. You know, everything. Um, but just just because we like to smoke weed doesn't mean that uh, everybody can do that. And I think it's it's good to to be educated about it. I, I was preparing. I was preparing myself to have to do some some like improv with you over the phone as, <laughs> as I listened to your other shows. I was like, oh, it's like I wonder what scenario. No, not at all. We wanted we wanted this to be to be <laughs> informative and, and and earnest. Uh, you were you were exactly what we were hoping for, which is great. <laughs> Um, is, is there anywhere that um, you want people to find you online, like any social media stuff, websites, anything like that? I think, you know, our website at, at cagefreecannabis.com has a lot of information um, on, you know, the drug war in general um, and, you know, harm reduction. Uh, a good resource is the Drug Policy right. Alliance, um, which is drugpolicy.org. Um, and, uh, yeah, and they can kind of, uh, look up national expungement week. We're going to national expungement week is going to be in September. I believe the week of September 19th, which is national voter registration week. Um, so we're kind of doing it in concert with that. Um, yeah, cause part of, you know, another part of the idea is that, you know, these people should be able to vote. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, to be honest, prisoners yeah, should be able to vote um, as well. So this is a this is a, a, a kind of a, a huge, a huge effort that's getting bigger uh, every year, basically. Right. Uh, thank you again, Andrew, for your time. I really appreciate it, man. This has been uh, this has been a really great conversation. And uh, again, uh, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me on. And um and giving us this platform. It's really great of you guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode, Stoners. Uh, you know, I know this kind of veered a little bit off of our normal uh, template that we do for this show, and normally this is a comedy show, but, uh, you know, the yin and yang of the universe tells us when we, uh, uh, when we feel joy, we, we also have to uh, suffer as well, and I, I think it's, it's one thing to be able to get high um, but you know, it's, it's, it's good to be educated and, and, and understand that, um, it, it's not so easy for everybody to just, uh, pull out a joint and, and smoke, um, and, and not have harsh consequences. So we, we'd like to continue to do this from time to time so that we can, you know, um, not only, you know, normalize through the language of comedy, but we also want to continue to advocate for, uh, for cannabis. And, and so, um, if there's, Anybody that you want to hear, uh, come on the show. If there's anybody you'd like us to talk to or, or companies or uh, anything like that, please email us at uh, high at gmail.com. And, um, you know, we hopefully will be able to get around to doing this again soon. Otherwise, uh, next week we'll be right back with our regular scheduled comedic challenges with a bunch of stoned, funny comedians. And we look forward to having you back uh, listening then. Stay too effing high, you guys. Thanks a lot. Hiya, I'm Hallie Labonte from Mega the Podcast. 
I'm a weekend producer at Twin Hills, a fictional megachurch in Broad Ripple, Indiana. And I'm Gray Haas. I'm the youth pastor of our church's teen ministry called Climax. On every episode of Mega the Podcast, we improvise with a new guest comedian playing a different character from our community. Tune in and hear episodes with guests like Cecily Strong. How would you me off or whatever? Sorry, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. You know what? Well, it's covered in the blood. Rory Scovel. Uh, yeah, I said, hey, we could build houses or we could uh, we could build our faith in Christ out on a golf course. Eliza Coop. The way I plow the snow yeah. is uh, I'm not doing it by any other guidance except from from God. And Scott adds it. Physics is the proof of God. Wow. Because it's perfect. Oh. Uh, well. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. We couldn't think of physics. Right. Only he could think of physics. Isn't that right? We're on Campfire Media. Listen to Mega wherever you find podcasts. Campfire.